Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today we're going to go ahead and hop into the book of Acts. We are now in part five of this series. How many of y'all have been enjoying this series? Come on, let me see your hands. Come on, let me see. Like, all right, all right. Well, I think most of y'all. Um, we've been working through this series, and I've been going pretty much verse by verse. And what we have been in the first two chapters now, well, for five weeks. That's your fault. Y'all will not let me get out of these chapters. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to pretty soon. But today I want to preach a message from Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Just two verses. Can y'all handle that? Of course y'all can handle that. I preach through Revelation. Y'all, y'all can handle that whole book. Y'all can take two verses. Can y'all take two verses? Today? All right, two verses, uh, verses 38 and verse 39. Go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bible, it's cool. We're going to have the verses up here on the screen. But as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is simply this, Signs. Can y'all say that? Signs. Uh, we, we live in a world that is full of signs. And we know that signs come in different shapes and different sizes. But the signs that we see are very, listen to this, very, very powerful because signs point and direct us to something else. For example, um, I got up this morning, I was reminded that Kelly and I have been together. We've been married for, coming up in May, it'll be 17 years. Yeah. How many of y'all know I did good? How many of y'all know she did pretty good herself? Yeah, not, not too bad, not too bad. But when I, when I woke up this morning, I, I saw my ring. And, you know, I lose my keys. I lose my wallet. Uh, I've got so much to keep up with. But for all these years, I have, now I say this, I'm going to lose it today. All right. <laughs> I have kept up with this ring. And this ring, you know, she did pretty good with this. It's my wedding ring, of course. Um, when, when we got married, so uh, 17 years ago, we stood at the altar, we swapped rings. And when, when, when she put the ring on my finger, I put the ring on her finger. The ring is okay, but how many of y'all know the ring ultimately isn't the point? Now, ladies, you would beg to differ. Because when you get a big old engagement ring or wedding ring, come on, that for you, that is the point, isn't it? And the bigger, the, the better. Yeah, I understand, ladies. But really, 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 the ring really isn't the point. The ring is a symbol that does what? It, it is a sign that points to something else. What does it point to? It points to the fact that, well, for me, I am a married man. And she is a married woman. Married people, wear your rings. Because you're going to be out and about, somebody's going to look at you and think you're fine, and they're going to want to get up in your business, and all you got to do is just show them that, that ring. And that ring is a sign that you are what? That you are taken. Come on, if you don't hear anything else, hear that. Wear your, wear your ring, married people, all right? But, but the sign of, of the ring is that, that you belong to somebody else. And let's get cheesy for just a second. Uh, back, back in high school, uh, th there were girls that, who dated football players. And I don't know if they still do this or not, but back in those days, uh, th these gals, they wore their boyfriend's, what? Letter jacket. Do they still do that? CJ, does that still happen? 
Come on, I'm old. I don't know. Does that still happen, teenagers? I don't know. Um, they wear their letter jacket. And when you see that little old girl with the jacket on, it looks like a bathrobe because her boyfriend is so big walking through the hall. You see that letter jacket. You know that girl belongs to number 34. And you don't mess with that girl because if you mess with that girl, you're going to be messed with number 34. Are y'all with me? Back in high school, I dated a girl named Kelly. Yeah. Now, the one I got just, I mean, whoosh, knocked out of the park with her. But I had a Kelly in high school. She wasn't bad. Uh, I was a freshman. <laughs> Hold on. Let me go back for just a second. In high school, I was a freshman, and Kelly, this other Kelly, was a senior at another high school. Ooh. And she was a little blind cheerleader. And I was this, like, I cannot believe she dated me. I was like 105 pounds soaking wet. You know, and anyway, she was this gorgeous cheerleader. Somehow, some way, I won her. Well, we were at different schools, and she decided she, she had a class ring. And she gave me her class ring that said Franklin High School on it. And she gave it to me, and I'm like, what in the world am I going to do with your ring? How many of y'all know that thing wasn't going to fit on my finger? The finger, it should, I had to put it on my pinky. Y'all, I walked around my high school <laughs> with this girl's <laughs> class ring on my pinky. How many of y'all know I was whooped? <laughs> y'all, I, I was whooped. And when people saw that ring, they knew that I was, I was taken. But we do things like this. We, we, we exchange rings and we, we um, get tattoos on our arm and other places that we can't talk about in church. Uh, we, we get marks on our bodies and we do all kind of different things to show that we belong to someone else or to something else. Well, this is true today, but this was also true in the early church in a different sense. And here, here's what I mean by that. In the early church, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen that the church was launched on the day of Pentecost. Peter got up and he preached and people responded. And after, after they responded, there was one thing in particular that they did that was a sign that they belong to someone else. And when this specific action took place, there was no doubt what it meant. It was crystal clear to everybody that when this action was performed, it was a sign that the people who believe now belong to Christ and were members of his church. What do you think that sign was? It was a sign of baptism. If you remember, just last Sunday, I talked about Peter who got up on the day of Pentecost and he preached Jesus. And when he preached Jesus' lordship and he preached his messiahship, that very day it says that his audience was cut to the heart. How many of y'all know the aim of preaching is not to tickle the ear, but to convict the heart. And the way you do that 
is by preaching, not just sharing. You share ice cream, but you preach the gospel. When you preach Jesus and you preach his lordship, then people will be cut to the heart. And guess what? You don't have to change people. Take that responsibility off yourself. You are responsible for the word, to speak the word, to live the word. If you do that, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Are y'all with me? You can't change anybody. All you can do is preach the one who can, and his name is Jesus. Peter preached, and it says that they were cut to the, who remembers? They were cut to the heart, meaning that, that they were convicted. The speaking in tongues got the crowd's attention, but it was, it was the preaching of Jesus that cut them to the heart. And they asked this question, which is such a very important question. It was this, in light of all this, Peter, what must we do? In other words, we are cut. We are convicted. We hear you, Peter. We're the ones that killed Jesus, we're the ones. We killed the Messiah. Oh, we're heartbroken. What must we do? And Peter steps up and he continued on a little bit with the sermon. He says this. Here's the two verses. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Peter said, this is what you do. First of all, repent. Everybody say repent. Y'all remember from last Sunday? Listen to me carefully. If you are walking in darkness, if you are living in sin and you repent, you don't do a 360, do you? Because if you do that, you're back where you started. Are you with me? If you're walking in darkness, you're living in sin, you're walking and living in unbelief, going this direction, the word repent means you change your mind about that lifestyle. You change your mind. And what do you do? It begins here, the change of mind, but it flows into your life. You do a 180 and you leave that sin. You walk away from that unbelief. And even better than that, you walk toward Jesus and you serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's how you know today that you're in him, that you have repented and are repenting. It's been said that our past and our present and our future sins are forgiven. That's true. But listen, it's not just about repenting to get saved. How many of y'all know you got to re repent of something almost every day because you are saved? Come on, husbands. We're professional repenters. Come on, husbands. Are y'all with me? I mean, every, I'm like, man, I mean, this isn't something you graduate from. It's something that you live. It's that, you know, at times, you know, I know I'm a new creation and I know that I'm a, you know, I'm a saved, born again child of God, but every now and then the old Scott's going to try to rise up and it's like, psh, you know, get, get back to that. You're supposed to be dead, you know? How many of y'all ever deal with the, the, the past? The past sometimes wants to come back, rear its ugly head. Yeah, and you've you got to crucify that old man again. You've got to put him to death. He's going to come back. He's going to want to come up. But repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not just something we did. If you're a believer, it's something that we continue to do. And as we do, how many of y'all know there is a fountain of forgiveness in the cross of Christ, no matter how much you've blown it? No, it doesn't matter how deep the sin is or how dark it is, how pervasive it is. How many of y'all know if you're in Christ, you're a new creation? If you're in Christ, you have access to salvation every single day of your life. His blood, His mercy, His grace, it's all there for us, man. That's so, so good. And so here Peter says, repent, repent. Everybody say repent. repent. 
So you want to know what to do? I'm glad you asked. Repent. Turn around. Change your mind about the Messiah. Change your mind about who Jesus is. You, you thought he was just this little guy from Nazareth. No, he's way more than that. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the master of the universe. Are y'all with me today? Come on, he's a miracle-working Messiah. He is a sign-producing Savior. How many of y'all know there's nobody like Jesus? No, no, nobody like him. So, Peter, it's like you say, I'm trying to preach in a way to get you to change your mind. You thought he was this, but he's really something bigger and better than what you could ever imagine. So, he said, repent. Everybody say repent one more time. Repent. But then next he says, and, and, there it is. Strong on the one screen here, y'all. Pray for our projector bulbs to be released from purgatory. <laughs> What's he say? Repent. They're stuck somewhere in an office somewhere. Okay. Repent. They need to repent. Get our bulbs here. Repent and be what? What's it say on the screen? It's right there. And what? What's it say? Are you sure? Does it say it? It says it, doesn't it? Be baptized. How many of them? Just the ones who've gone through catechism. Just the super spiritual ones of you, right? Is that what it says? The spiritually elite, the super committed. The implication is if they repented, they are committed. Every, what's it say? One of you in the name of Jesus Christ for, 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 for what? For the forgiveness of, of sin of your sins. And he says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. This promise, verse 39, is for you and for your children. Come on, children's children. How many of y'all are believing your children are going to serve the Lord? Let's pray that. Let's believe that. Our children, Jesus, help us help our children serve the Lord. It's for you. It's for your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. How many of y'all know God is a generational God? And he's saying, this is for you, for all the Jews who will believe, for all the Gentiles who will believe, for everyone to this very moment and to the end of history, everyone who repents, who changes their mind about Christ can receive this blessing. Wow, that's incredible, huh? Now here in the book of Acts, let me teach for like three minutes, all right? And then I'm going to give you three points and we're going to baptize. Throughout the book of Acts, so I'm scaling this a little bit. I've been preaching like, a, you know, 65 minutes, and I'm going to be short today. I'm going to be brief. Someone said, yeah, right, watch me. <laughs> Smile. Smile. Do y'all believe, does anybody have any faith I can be brief today? Y'all are lying. You don't believe it. <laughs> All right, so look at this. All through the book of Acts, we see people placing their faith in Jesus, repenting of their sins, and getting, getting baptized. Who would have ever imagined? In Acts 12, 8.12, excuse me, Acts 8.12, the Samaritans believed the good news, and guess what they did right after? They were baptized. In Acts 8.38, Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Who's that? You'll find out in weeks to come. But this man who believed the gospel, he baptized him after he believed the good news of Jesus. In Acts 9.18, the Bible says that Saul, whom we know as the Apostle Paul, he was baptized. Acts 10.48, just in case you were wondering, Peter preaches again the word to some non-Jews, to some Gentiles. And guess what they did? They believed, which implies that they repented, and they were what? 
baptized. Now, I could go on and on and on and give you other examples from the book of Acts, but I don't think I need to convince the convinced. I think y'all are with me. Uh, just to add to this, Jesus, of course, he was, he was baptized as well, but how many of y'all know Jesus was not baptized to wash away his sin? Think about what I just said. He was not baptized to wash away sin. Why? Because Jesus had no sin. He was the spotless, blameless, perfect Lamb of God. He did it, we're told, to fulfill all righteousness. But maybe you're here and you're wondering, okay, what's the big deal about baptism? Okay, Pastor Scott, we see it's a sign, it's a symbol, it's a demonstration, but what does it symbolize? What is it all about? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, baptism is a sign, everybody say sign, of our forgiveness in Christ. It's a sign. So, once again, repent, be baptized. Why? For what? For the forgiveness of your what? Of your sins. Now think about this for just a second. If you are truly a believer, if you've truly experienced the mercy and the grace of Almighty God, if you know that God has wiped the slate clean, if you know that He has purified you, if you know that you have a clean heart, if you know that He will never hold your sins against you, if you know that, you should be the happiest, most joy-filled people on this planet. That Watch this. The God who was against you because of your sin is now eternally for you because of Jesus. Not because you are good. Not because he changed his mind and was like, you know, they're not that bad after all. No, we're dead in sin, dead in trespasses, but God being rich in love, though we were dead, sent Christ to die for us so we could be forgiven and raised to brand new life. What? Come on, y'all. That's the greatest news that I have. Like, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. Are y'all tracking? <laughs> Forgiveness. He's wiped the slate clean. I've used this illustration before. It's a little worn out. Let me do it one more time. It's like the Etch-a-Sketch. You remember the Etch-a-Sketch? Then what do you do when you want a clean slate? Everybody do this with me. How many of y'all know we need to do that every day? <laughs> we get a brand new start. Our sins are no longer held against us because Christ satisfied the wrath of God. So when we get baptized, you know, we try to, we try to, to describe, you know, what this is like. And I've given you words. <laughs> You know, we paint pictures and use illustrations, but, you know, sometimes you, you, the words just run out. And you just got to, you got to do something to convey the point. Well, I think that baptism is that action. It's that demonstration for people to see, representing what it's really like to be clean on the inside. I can say it's, it's like this. And I can string along some words to describe it. It's a whole different thing when I say it. I'm not just going to say it. Let me show you what it feels like, what it is like to be forgiven. How many of y'all know water? Water purifies. Water cleanses. It washes all the dirt away. That's true, of course, physically. But when you get in that water today, I just signed you up. When you, you know who you are, when you get in that water today, that water 
symbolizes the fact that you are a brand new, clean, pure creation. Not on the basis of the water, but on the basis of Jesus' blood. Are you with me? There's nothing magical in that water. It's from the city of Lafayette. And after all y'all go through it, it's going to be nasty. You're going to look at the top and they're going to be, never mind. We got a net. We'll take care of it. Listen to me. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing powerful in that tub. The power is not in the tub. The power flows from the cross. The power flows from the Holy Spirit. The power is God unto salvation. Are y'all with me? So when you get baptized, listen to what Peter says in his, in his document, 1 Peter 3, 21. Baptism, he says this, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not, not, everybody say not, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal, or the, I think the NIV, you know, the nearly inspired version almost gets it right. They say, I'm teasing, it's a great translation. The pledge to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This water symbolizes your salvation. And in context, Peter talks about Noah. How many of y'all remember the story of Noah? God sent the rain. And how many of y'all know that was a big old flood? Flood of the earth. And when that water came, what did that water do? Well, that water was for judgment, but that water did what? Let's get real practical. The water cleansed the earth. In a similar way, when you go into that water, that water symbolizes God cleansing you. It's symbolic of the blood of Christ that purifies and cleanses you from all and of all unrighteousness. Because watch this. The Greek term is baptizo. Everybody say baptizo. Y'all are Greek scholars now. Baptizo. The word means to dip. Everybody say dip. To plunge. To wash, to, yeah, that's why we don't sprinkle. Because the word means to, y'all are the smartest service. Are y'all with me? Now, I'm not picking on people who are convinced that infants should be baptized. I don't want to pick on that or disrespect that tradition. I don't want to do that at all. But what I, do, what I do want to show you is that that's not found anywhere in the Bible. Okay? Challenge me on it. We'll go there if you'd like. Infant baptism is in the Bible. It is in church tradition, but it's not in the Bible. So just so you're clear, if you're new and you believe this, you're still welcome to be here. We love you. There, we have Catholic you know, Catholic people who come, Protestants, people from other churches who practice this, we, we respect you and love you. But here, I'm just saying here, our heart, our desire is to define our culture, what we do, what we say by the word of God alone. Are you all with me? And so when you look through scripture, what we see is repent, repent, which implies you're talking to people who are able to, how many of y'all know infants can't repent? Now, some children can, it depends on where they are how old they are, some young children, they're able, they understand the message. I'm trusting that my children are all going to get saved at a very young age. Can y'all believe that? But they've got to understand. They've got to be broken over their sin. They've got to repent. And then what does Peter say? Repent and then what? For the what? 
for the forgiveness of your, of your sins, okay? The word means, it means to dip, plunge, submerge. It means you go all the way under. How many of y'all want just a little bit of forgiveness? Well, I'm not saying that you, you get that from baptism anyway, but I'm just asking the question. Y'all want to be forgiven of just a couple things, but not all things? No, we want, we want to be immersed. Can I speak for y'all? I think you all want to be immersed, plunged, and submerged into the blood of Jesus, so to speak, where you obtain eternal redemption, not just forgiveness for a few things, but forgiveness for all things. Are y'all with me? Is that you? I think I know my audience pretty well. That's why this word means you, you got to immerse them. Take them under. <laughs> and when you do, we're going to do it today. We're going to hold, some of y'all need to be held under just a little longer. <laughs> they held me under just, a, just, just an extra second or two. I got, I, you know, I have bad, 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 Bad background. Awful. Golly. And when I went in to that water, yeah, hold me under for just a couple extra seconds. Just, just, just to symbolize the fact that when I go down, God symbolically, he'd already done it through the cross. This is just symbolic. To symbolize the fact that Scott is fully forgiven, immersed in God's grace, immersed, smothered, and covered in his mercy. Did I just preach a Waffle House? I did. Take that out of the audio. Are y'all with me? Let me speed up. I'm going to keep my word. Uh, if y'all let me go on. All right. So, number two. First of all, baptism is a sign of our forgiveness in Christ. Number two, quickly. Baptism is a sign of our new life in Christ. Right? Isn't that what it's all about, really? So, Y'all know the story. I talk about it regularly. God delivered the people of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. They were there for hundreds of years. And they were, they were technically, in a sense, they were saved by the what? The blood. Take the blood of the lamb, apply it to the doorpost and the lintel. God said, I will pass over your home. I will pass over in mercy. I will not pass through in judgment if you will apply the blood. If you're a Christian today, the, the, the carryover is if you believe in Jesus. That is the way as new covenant believers, we, we say it this way, we have applied the blood of Christ, the lamb to our lives and we're saved on the basis of that blood. Are y'all with me? That's all up in Exodus. You can read it for yourself. But after they were saved by the blood, God actually delivered them from Egypt and from the slavery of Egypt. How many of y'all know Jesus saves you from the penalty of sin and God delivers you from the power of sin? The power, the stranglehold, the stronghold of sin on your life. In other words, God doesn't save you to let you stay in Egypt. He saves you. He delivers you to get you out of that world, out of that lifestyle, so you can get up and sin and sin. Sin no more. You've been sinning. Sin no more. Get up. Freed. Get out of this place. Listen, God's saying that to some of y'all today. Go and get out of that place of sin that you've been living in. Jesus did not die for you to live in it. Shall we continue in sin so grace may increase? Paul says, by no means. By no means. Meganoita, the strongest way you can say it in the Greek. God forbid, I think the old King James says, no, 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 no. 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 Don't, don't stay in that sin so grace will increase. That's not the way it works. Get out. He saved them. He saved them from that place. And on their way out of Egypt, they had, before they got to their destination, what did they have to go through? What did they have to pass through? Well, they come and they're to the, the shore of what, of what sea? The Red Sea. Okay, thanks, 
God, you got us out of Egypt, but there's this one little problem. It's this enormous body of water right in front of our very eyes. Is this a joke? Have you brought us here to let us die here? I mean, how are we going to get from here to there? Well, y'all know the rest of the story. That east wind came. Moses lifted up his arms. The Red Sea split. And the people of God traveled through as the water walled up on each side, traveled through to the other side to dry land. And the psalmist says it this way. As they passed through the Red Sea, the water crashed down on the Egyptians and not one survived. Oh, I love that. Meaning God washed their enemies in the Red Sea, cleansed Israel of his enemies, cleansed them. And as Israel went forward, yes, they had the wilderness experience to face. The promised land was up ahead. But come on, y'all. How many of y'all know God was with Israel every step of the way? He got them out of Egypt. But it took a while for God to get the Egypt out of them. Are you with me? That's called sanctification. That's true for them. It's also true for you. But the point is, there was a decisive break. When they traveled through, they looked back and the water came back down on all of their enemies. Today, when you get in that water, that's symbolic of the fact that God has delivered you from Egypt. He has set you free by his blood. And when you get in that water today, that is symbolic of God causing the water of baptism to crash down on your past, on the Egyptians, on everything that breaks God's heart is going to be drowned in that tub today. And you're going to come up you're going to come up, you're already a new creation if you're in Christ, but you're going to come up cleansed. You're going to come up fully assured. This is going to be a decisive break for you. If you've not been baptized, you can be today and experience this power, the power of baptism. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4. We, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, ESV is a little wooden here, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, look at this, we too might walk in newness of life. Oh, I love that. When you go down today, we're going to hold you for a second. And I want you to think when we take you down, I am, I am symbolically being buried with Christ. I am dying. The old you it's about to be the old you. Symbolically, it's going to be crucified and drowned in that water. That's your union with Christ. I have died with him. My life is now hidden with God in Christ. But it's more than that, isn't it? Yes. You're amazing. It's okay. You're amazing. Hold just a second. Just one second. No, seriously, one, just one second. We're going to... Let me preach just one more second. So, watch this. You go down, crucified, dead, boom. Egyptians, we're going to have dead Egyptians in that water today. But you're going to come up, and guess what that's symbolic of? The power of the resurrected Christ living in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's so good. 
It's not just living a crucified life, it's living a resurrected life. Now, go ahead. We are called to live like we're dead. When you get baptized today, this is going to be a funeral service for the old you. We're going to put that, that old man, that old woman to death. He or she is dead, but this is symbolic. It's symbolic of that death. After I got born again, and added to the church and baptized, I would run into old friends. And some of them would say things like, Scott, I heard, yeah, I heard you had this religious experience. I'm like, yeah, you could call it that. I heard, I heard that you're not going to Bar Nashville anymore. I heard you're not going to have a nice day cafe any longer. What happened? <laughs> Jesus, I don't need beer and mad dog fill me any longer because I got the Holy Ghost. I don't need to be filled with wine because I'm full of God. But here's what, here's what I said. He said, well, we, we miss the old Scott. We want the old Scott back. And I said, the old Scott's dead and he's floating dead in the baptismal tank at the church on the corner of Old Hickory and Granny White in Brentwood, Tennessee. If you want to talk to him, you'll find him floating dead there because the old Scott is dead. The new Scott, by the power of the Spirit, is alive. And today, you can bury that old man, that old woman, who once again, when you came to Christ, the power was broken. Today is just symbolic of that breaking. And it's a powerful reminder for you of what your life in Christ, what it entails and the power thereof. Because finally, baptism is a sign of, of your commitment to follow Christ. Not just to raise your hand in church. That's a good start if you really repent of your sins and say, yes, Jesus. That's that Yes, that's awesome. In these end times we're living in, Jesus is raising up an army, not of perfect people, but of committed people, committed Christians who are ready to live for him, who are ready to die for him. About 150 years ago, many missionaries went to Northeast India to preach the word, to preach the gospel. And as the story goes, the missionaries initially did not have much success, but they, they were successful in converting a man, his wife, and children to Christianity. And because this family got saved, their faith spread through the village. Other people started getting born again, started getting saved left and right. Well, the village chief heard about this, saw that it was taking place and became irate. And he called the family over, had them seized, dragged before him. And the village chief said to this man, this husband, his wife and children, this is your one opportunity 
to renounce Christianity. If you don't, I will kill your family. Now, can you imagine being dragged before someone, cuffed, bound for your faith? We can't because we don't deal with that in America yet. You've got one opportunity, he said, to renounce. And right there on the spot, this man, this father, this committed father, he wrote and then began, so to speak, in his head, wrote and began to sing the song that went something like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Enraged at the refusal of this man, the chief ordered his archers to shoot arrows into this man's children. And they did. And there, right before his very eyes, this man's children lie suffering, bleeding, twitching on the ground. The village chief said, this is your last chance. Your children are dying. Your children have dead. You've already lost your children over this Jesus. Are you willing to lose your life too and your own life too? And this man replied, though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back.